0: Well, aloha and good morning, online fam. We're so grateful that you joined us for the first Sunday here in March. It's almost been a year since we've been doing online church, but concurrently right now we're having a live online service. Hey, didn't uh, Keaton do a great job with uh, announcements? He's a natural, that guy, I tell you. And we're so grateful for him and being a part and serving our young people. Anyways, would you open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1? You know, we're exactly one month away from Easter 2021. Can you believe it? One month away. And I thought, you know, um, that we would have a a shift in paradigm, a shift in focus as a church leading up to Easter. Uh, I was reading uh, the news that if we have another two consecutive weeks of low COVID counts, We're gonna go transition and upgrade from tier three to tier four. And I think we're switching our mindset from survival to thriving, from surviving to thriving, that we've survived through the pandemic of 2020 and now it's kind of taking a turn to flourishing to what God has for us. Meaning, yes, we've survived Uh, whether it's spiritually, all the loss and the grief that we've gone through, but also as a church that, hey, it's time to, uh, from focusing inward, it's time to focus outward and be a witness to our community, be a witness to those around us, to our neighbors who don't know the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, uh, there's a legend that uh, recounts the story of the return to Jesus glory after his time here on earth Uh, even in heaven he bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with a cruel cross and shameful death Uh, the angel of Gabriel approached him and said master you must have suffered terribly down there for the people I did Jesus said and continued Gabriel Do they know all about how you love them and what you did for them? Oh, no, said Jesus. Not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel was perplexed. Then what have you done to let everyone know about your love for them? Jesus answered, Well, I let Peter, James, and John, and a few more friends to tell other people about me, and those who are told will in turn tell other people until my story will be spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will have heard of my love for them and will be saved. Gabriel frowned, knowing what poor stuff men are made of. He said, yes, but what if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if the people who come after him forget their mission? Haven't you made any other plans? Jesus answered, I have no other plans. I'm counting on them. In other words, Jesus has no plan B. See, God gave his life. The Father gave his only begotten Son. The Holy Spirit has been has descended down on us so that we could tell the greatest story that's ever been told. See, God has no plan B. God could have used the angels to proclaim. God could reveal Himself in dreams and visions. God could put a writing on the skies and the stars that Jesus loves you and be saved. But yet, God chose, uh, as 1 Corinthians says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, the base things of this world to uh, confound the strong. He chose people like you and me. That was God's original plan, and that's the only plan He has of saving the world. It's through witnesses like you and me. So let's turn to our text this morning in Acts chapter 1. It's a very familiar uh, passage, verse 6. Into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So, if you could imagine, uh, Jesus just spent 40 days with the disciples. He appeared, Luke chapter 24 says, uh, appearing to them with many signs and wonders, and he preached the kingdom of God. So, Jesus was just resurrected, he had a very public death. And now he has a very public resurrection, appearing to his disciples, and he tells them, um, "This is what what's referred to in the church calendar as the Easter tide, meaning um, there's a fifty-day period from the resurrection of Jesus to his ascension into the uh, back to heaven, and then there's a ten-day period in between that, where." The day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out. And I have two points for us this morning regarding what it means to be a spirit-empowered witness. And it's from Acts chapter 1, verse 7, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Would you write this down? Don't settle for second hand knowledge. Do not settle for secondhand knowledge knowledge. Let's look at verse 6. So when they had come together, the disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Jesus presented himself alive after suffering And by many proofs, he appeared for 40 days to his disciples. And he taught, he proclaimed, he declared, and he lived, and he preached the kingdom of God. So 40 days, he preaches to them about the kingdom of God. And he says, hey, I have to go be with the Father. And he said, I have to go be with the Father so that the Holy Spirit would come. So God promises his presence but his disciples they want to be assured of knowledge that they want information they want to fill their minds with trivia of day of the hour when 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 are you going to restore the kingdom so there's a big miscommunication between what Jesus wants or the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of this world and they're coming almost mutually exclusive that there's a dichotomy of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit which we need and our uh, desire for knowledge and trivial uh, information of when Jesus is gonna return. They weren't seeing eye to eye. They want to know the hour, the day. When will you restore Israel? We want to know. And Jesus says, hey, John the, Bab- the Baptist, he baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He is the promised one. he's the paraclete, the one standing beside you to help. The Gospel of Matthew says, when you testify before me, um, when you're not ashamed of me, and when you go to courts, You don't have to be anxious, you don't have to be worried because the Holy Spirit, my presence, God himself will be in you, he'll be with you. And you don't have to worry about what you're going to say because he's going to lead you to all truth and he's going to tell you exactly what you need to say to be a witness. And the word witness in Greek, it's just not, you know, when we think of witness, um, we think of like an eyewitness, we saw something, but... Um, it's a little bit heavier and has more meaning to that because the word witness in Greek is marturion, right? Martyr, that's actually the word there, that the, that not only do you see something, but you're willing to live, you're willing to stand by, you're willing to die for what you've seen and for what you've witnessed with your eyes, that you're willing to give your life. And this is what Jesus um, Tells them that, hey, instead of pursuing knowledge of trivial facts, oh, when are you going to come back, Jesus? When are you going to restore? It's like, do you want knowledge? Do you want information? Do you want facts? Or do you want the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so that you could be a witness? So that you guys can be witnesses. You know, it's human nature. One of the first concepts that we have as human beings, as small little guys, learning how to speak is, why? 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 We want to know why. Uh, even when we grow older, even till now, when we go through misfortune, and we go through hardship, under go through hardship, what's the first question that we ask? Why? Why? And I think it's perpetuated by our culture where it says knowledge is power. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge is knowledge. Power is power. You see, sometimes knowing does not help. Even if you were to know why a loved one got cancer and passed away, even if you were to know God's overall plan, it still does not help your grieving heart. It still does not soothe your aching soul. So knowledge is overrated. And here's the disciples after Jesus spent 40 days with them, telling them, hey, I'm going to give you the substance of the Holy Spirit. They're like, no, we want to know when you're going to do it. We're to, we want to know the day. We want to know the hour. We want to know the details. But Jesus tells them, no, I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you the substance of God himself so that you could be a witness that this morning choose the power and the presence of God over knowledge. See, we want the details, but God graces us with his presence. We desire knowledge, but God gives us power We long to fill our minds with trivial minutiae, but God longs to fill our souls with His Spirit. Like Mary, we want to busy ourselves with activities, but God wants us to be captivated by His company. We want to be winners, but God calls us to be witnesses. We're thirsty for the day and the hour, but God wants us to hunger and to wait for the baptism and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's like the old saying, right? Give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Now, uh, how many of you guys are, well, I guess we're all doing it. We're all homeschooling or... Uh, distance learning Uh, especially if you have younger guys you know teaching our kids earlier um, it's so frustrating it's like hey uh, learn your times table so you can multiply and they just want to know the answer right they just want that fish for the day they just want the answer they don't want to learn how to fish and it's like okay Noah What's nine times nine? Uh, Alexa, what's nine times nine? Oh, shoot. Will Alexa say it? Nine <laughs> I <think>. times nine. <laughs> yes, nine times nine is 89. <laughs> see how frustrating that is? <laughs> Just wanting the answer, wanting to fill our minds instead of learning and growing and learning the life skill and memorizing. Um, see, only God the Father knows the day and the hour look at matthew chapter 24 verse 36 but concerning the day or the hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the son but the father only for as were the days of noah so will be the coming of the son of man only god the father knows not even jesus the son not even the holy spirit knows exactly when Christ is returning and when Christ is coming back. you know sometimes my kids they would pass by, they would walk through the living room or they would uh, knock or go to our door in our bedroom and my wife and I would have a pretty serious conversation, whether it's you know between me and her or stuff that's happening in the church and something that we're praying about. And without fail, my kids were like, wait, 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 what, what? What are you guys talking about? Who are you talking about? Oh, wait, wait, what's happening? I was like, son, that's none none of your business, right? And now I know why my parents, they know like six dialects. Uh, I only know Tagalog and English. My parents knew like... uh, Ilocano, kapangpanga, Visaya. They knew all these different dialects so that when they would talk, uh, that's information that's not privy to me. (laughs) They would communicate because it's not for me to know. In the same way, it's not for us to know when exactly Christ is going to come back, when God is going to restore the kingdom. It's not our job to figure out and be on top. Uh, You know, I'm not bagging on end time ministries or prophecies or anything like that. We should be informed. We should not be ignorant. But if not even Jesus knows, not even the Holy Spirit knows, not even the angels knows, then why are we so much into speculation about the hour? Our job is to be prepared. Our job is to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we could be witnesses and tell people to repent of their sins and turn and believe in Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22: It says, Jews, they, they seek signs and wonders, Greek, they seek knowledge or wisdom but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. It's not for us to know the day or the hour. Let's not muddy our mission and, and, and have mission drift and getting into politics and Christian nationalism. Let's stick to the substance that Jesus Christ is coming back. We don't know when, but we are to be prepared. We are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we could stand as witnesses, so that we could win our neighbors for Christ, so that we could lead them into life everlasting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we'll go ahead and close with this. Uh, Number two is... Uh, strive to be a spirit-empowered witness. Strive. This is what we aim for, is that we would be, not be filled with trivial knowledge. Not be caught up and be entangled with the day and the hour and what's happening in, with Israel, and what's happening in the Middle East and um, what our religious liberties are and our amendments These are all good. We should be informed. Please hear me out. But we need, don't settle for second hand knowledge, just like the early disciples. Jesus preached and taught the, the kingdom for 40 days. They still didn't get it. God wanted, Jesus wanted to give him his presence. So that they could be witnesses, strive to be a spirit empowered witness. Look at verse eight. But you will receive power. And the word power there is, in the Greek, is, is dudamis, which, where later on, uh, where we get the word dynamite. Uh, dynamite doesn't explode. Dynamite explodes. That's not what dunamis is. But the, the the punch is still there. The, it, that we, we will receive the ability. The God enables us to be witnesses when, when what happens when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what's the result when we have the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. We will have the ability to tell people about Jesus. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your condominium complex, God has called you not just to take up residence, not just to earn a paycheck, but God has called you to be a missionary filled with the Holy Spirit so that you could tell The good news of Jesus. How your life has been transformed. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was a wretched sinner that I am, but now I am saved. It's all because of Jesus. And it takes boldness and it takes courage. I was reading an article that surveyed, um, I believe, 2,200 Christians of why they don't share their faith and why they don't evangelize. Why don't they stand as a witness. You know what the number one um, answer was? Over uh, 22% said that because of fear, they're afraid of rejection. First of all, if people reject, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. Secondly, if they are rejecting you, then you're in good company. (laughs) The Holy Spirit enables us to have the courage to, like, hey, um, when your co-worker is going off or your neighbor is telling you how much, uh, how hard of a time they're ha- they're going through right now, whether in their marriage or physical health, the Holy Spirit gives you the courage to be a witness. And it's like, hey, is it okay if I pray for you right now? Because um, there's nothing powerful in the activity of prayer, but there's power in the person whom prayer is directed to, and that is God. So is it okay if we pray for you right now, if I pray for you? And forbearance, 9 out of 10, they'll say, Oh, oh, sure, you could pray for me. See, uh, remember that Luke and Acts go hand in hand. So in Luke uh, chapter 24, verse 48, this is what Jesus says, and you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Isn't that interesting, the language there? And this is why um, when we study the Bible, we want to study from literal translations like the ESV or the NASB because it says you'll be clothed with power from on high. Now the word clothed with power is is very intentional. If you look through the Old Testament, let's look at Judges chapter 6 verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet and the Abeah's rites were called out to follow him. First Chronicles 12:18, Then the spirit clothed Amasai. Second Chronicles chapter 24 verse 20. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the temple and said to them, the experience of being clothed by the Holy Spirit was something beyond being a happy Christian or um, an ordinary Christian living. Being clothed in the Old Testament, um, the, the Spirit of God uh, did not pour out yet, so God, the Spirit, would momentarily empower people to do something. We, I just gave you three examples. It's almost like uh, like Samson. He was clothed with the Spirit, and even though he was living in sin, he was able to push out the pillars. Like uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament had a temporal um, use, a temporal function, but here in the whole in the New Testament, Ephesians one, Paul says that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the gospel. Heard and believed, boom, you were simultaneously sealed with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out, there is a sense of permanence, that you've been sealed, that now the Holy Spirit just doesn't come in and help you for a task The Holy Spirit comes and goes, but now the Holy Spirit Himself dwells inside of you. He gives you strength, He gives you courage, so that you and I will not live in fear, but we would stand as witnesses, so that we would not just think about ourselves and my problems, my circumstance, my situation, my drama, but we would think about others, and that we would move with empathy, that we would love God and love our neighbors, and that we could be intentional as the people of God in reaching the lost. God has no plan B. And this is the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit that you and I will, will, will no longer be just advocates who can Prove like a good lawyer that Jesus rose from the dead That, But under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit This experience of the Spirit of the risen Christ We will be able to speak with unwavering assurance Of the one who has tasted and knows the reality So that, all, that immediately all doubt is gone We move from being an advocate of Christianity Christianity to being a witness of the living Christ. That we won't just, uh, okay, what are the three steps? I will now go through the Roman road. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death and the free gift of God is eternal life. Romans 10, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and say... (laughs) There's that that you're able to have this dynamic, interactive dialogue with a person because the Holy Spirit is there. He will give you strength, He will give you enablement so that you could speak with boldness and confidence. So that you could be silver and gold, have I none? But what I declare to you is Jesus. But what I have is Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we move from simply deducing Christian truths from valid premises to proclaiming them boldly as experienced realities, that we're not mechanical and just cite stuff uh, Bible Answer Man, right? How to prove the Bible is true? Maps. M is for Manuscripts. A is for Archaeology. P is for prophecies. S is for statistics. That's why the Bible is true. But we'll be able to hear from the Spirit and move forward. As we wrap this up and bring this to a close, you know, I, the reality of being a witness for Jesus and, and having that confidence um, wasn't... a a reality that I lived in. Um, You know, uh, when I was a teller in Bible college, I took an evangelism class and, you know, told us about power evangelism and, and just having that God confidence. And I remember working as a teller, and there was a check, and, you know, you're supposed to make small talk. And there was a check from a student who was getting his... Ph.D. from Caltech in Pasadena. I was a Bank of America Fuller uh, Bank of America at Pasadena. Anyways, um, I saw the check. Um, Caltech. I was like, Oh, it was a student loan or something or stipend scholarship. And we we're just kind of talking. It's like, Oh, so what are you getting your Ph.D. in? I was like, Well, I'm doing my dissertation on microbiology. I was like, Oh, cool, and. For some strange reason, a book that I read uh, years ago just came into my mind, and here I am, you know, like an undergrad, and this dude was getting his PhD from Caltech. I'm at a small, dinky Bible college. I said, hey, um, have you heard of Dr. Michael Behe? Uh, He he proposes... uh, intelligent design and one of the terms that he comes up with is this thing called irreducible complexity as I'm and basically he he likens irreducible complexity to like a mousetrap that in in the bio um, chemical level at the foundations of life things are irreducibly complex like a mousetrap it's simple but it's complex that if you reduce it it won't it will cease to function like there's a platform there's a spring there's a hammer if you take away any of these things it will cease to to function and exist and the same at the bio, biological level with um you know like flagella and all these different things i just started mouthing off stuff i don't even remember it now but it's like does that make sense that it points to uh, intelligent design that actually does. What was the name of the guy? And I was just like, oh, Dr. Michael Behe, it's called Darwin's Black Box. And, anyways, um, just that God confidence to walk out and be a witness for Jesus, led by the Spirit. And so um, this morning, we're going to participate in communion. And every first Sunday of the month, we dedicate it to receiving the lord's supper we remember the sacrifice that jesus said jesus said to do this in remembrance of him that ultimately because his blood was shed we now experience forgiveness of sins the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins so we don't crucify jesus upon that cross again we do take it in that he died our death but we do remember that He was resurrected so that we could have life eternal. Paul says, For I received from the Lord, which I now deliver unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, He took the bread, He broke it, He gave thanks and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we remember your sacrifice this morning. We thank you, oh God, from the depth of our being for taking our place at the cross. It should have been me up there hanging for my sins, paying the penalty for my mistakes, my disobedience, my rebellion, but yet Lord, because of your great love, you took our place, you took my place. So as I eat this bread, as we eat this bread, O Lord God, we pray for spiritual sustenance that you would strengthen your people. Lord, I pray that as we drink this cup, O Lord God, we thank you that your blood was shed so our our blood does not need to be shed. We thank you, Lord, that there's forgiveness, there's life eternal in you and through you. So we remember you, O Lord God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen, so let's go ahead and eat of the bread. In the same manner, after supper he took the cup, saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink of this as often as you eat, for as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let's go ahead and proclaim the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Let's drink of the cup together. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us. We love you. Have an amazing week. Be blessed.